Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that brings you inside NRG Stadium or wherever we happen to be broadcasting from, which in the last year is a total crapshoot. You never know where we are. Johnny could be in Galveston. I could be in Paris. I'm not in Paris. It's the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, and it's mobile. Ever since 2020, March approximately, We've been mobile. We've been everywhere, sometimes in the building, sometimes not. But we always get you in touch with your Houston Texans. So it's Mark Vandermeer and John Harris. Johnny, how's it going? I'm doing well. I am not in Galveston, uh, sadly. I would, uh, on a day like we've had today, it would have been nice to be down at the beach. But Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, the poor people in Galveston have to deal with hurricanes and flooding all the time. And then last week, all the fuckiness. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, snow at, the, snow at the beach, I will say, is very, very cool. Mm-hmm. But when it completely shuts down the entire mm-hmm. location, oh, no. No yeah. bueno. No bueno whatsoever. That's tough. Johnny, a few things to get to. Uh, let's start here. Now, we will get to some of the moves made today. Nothing earth-shattering, but certainly of note. Uh, but I wanted to start here because – I think this is one of the more interesting, under-discussed elements of this offseason and the acquisition of Nick Casario as the general manager. We talked about it a bit, and it's been mentioned a few times, but obviously so many big issues surrounding the NFL and this team that it doesn't get discussed much. But Casario wearing a headset during games. I think this is really interesting stuff. Now, I'm not saying that this should be the lead headline involving your Houston Texans every time they're discussed (laughs) nationally or elsewhere. But for us here, we get into the nitty-gritty on this particular program. And I think that Nick wearing the headset in a Patriot context is highly notable because you have Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, and, you know, they deem it very necessary and worthwhile. So – and I didn't get into this with him last time or any time I've talked to him because there have been so many other things to discuss – but next time you can bet, I'm going to ask him, what are you saying and what are you going to do here? What's it going to be like yeah. here? And I want to ask David Cully as well what his expectations are with Casario on the headset during games. That is going to be cool. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think, well, there are a number of things that Nick's going to have to try and uh, figure out for himself. It's the first time, uh, first time full, full GM. Yeah spot he he's gonna have to figure out okay responsibilities on game day how do they change for me mm-hmm. how do they change what are what are things that i'm gonna have to do can i be on it can i be on a headset can i be discussing situations can we be discussing things uh, that we talked about during the week and then have to handle something that comes up is there what's what are those game day responsibilities but you know they figured it out Obviously, in New England, though Belichick coached the team and obviously made the final final call, the next person in line was Nick Casario, and he was on the headset. And look, I, I, I'm always of a belief that if you have – I don't really – I don't know. Maybe I was I – was, I should have been a Patriot maybe in some sense because I've never really cared about titles. Like, what's your title? What do you, It's just about how much you can do. And if you can be on a headset and you can decipher the game – and you're great at evaluation, so be it. If you get it all in one package, great. Make sure you maximize that. Now, if something is, is, is missing or there's something lacking because, you know, he's on a headset and something's not getting attention paid to it like maybe it should be, then, okay, there's a consideration to be there. I have absolutely no qualms whatsoever 
if Nick ends up being on a headset. Smart mm -hmm. football people always help. It's simple as that. Yep. If, a, if he knows what he's doing, I've got no problem with it. None whatsoever. And I know a lot of people were like, well, you know, a GM should do this and a head coach should do that. And it's like, to me, that's where the Patriots did have the right attitude about it in some sense. It's like, well, why? Why pigeonhole a guy into doing just one thing when he can do three? And right. can do three very well. So what, why do that? Why just do one thing? Because that's what the title says to do. And I, I think that's if they've gotten one thing right in all the years they've done things, I think that's it. So from that perspective, man, if you can help out in any way, shape, or form, put a headset on. Let, let's rock and roll. It doesn't matter what the, what the title is. And I think that's what, what happens a lot of times. And I've had these conversations with people over the years. And, you know, but, but the one that comes to mind most was Lonnie Johnson. And I kept saying to, to, to people, I'm like, look, Lonnie's a safety. Lonnie's a safety. He, probably, he needs to play safety. It's good he can play corner, but he's a safety. And everybody's like, no, the roster says he's a corner, he's a corner. Like, okay, you got to look beyond that a little bit. Lonnie can do a lot more than just play corner. He can play – he needs to be playing safety. He can play both if you need him to play both. You just can't get locked into what a title says. And, yeah, right. Nick is the GM, and the buck stops with him from that perspective. But as soon as he can figure out, all right, during a game I have these responsibilities – I still can be on a headset and help in some way, shape, or form than he needs to be, and I hope that he is. Well, he was with McDaniels for a long time in New England. Obviously, McDaniels had the year yeah. or so coaching with the Broncos a couple of years. But when he got back, and I don't know if it started before that, and those guys went to the same school and everything, they could probably finish each other's sentences. Yes. So there's an enormous amount of trust. And, look, we don't do it the same way. You know, I have you in my headset during a broadcast, right? Right. Right. Uh, and apparently Casario, Ben Volan did a nice job in the Boston Globe talking about some of the things that are discussed. Uh, and among them, Casario just giving simple. And O'Brien used to talk about this too. You need somebody to tell you hash mark and down in distance because yes. at field level, it's hard to exactly see. You know, third right. and four can look like third and six sometimes, and that's going to result in maybe a very different play call or third and three, right. third and two versus a third and five. And if you're at the wrong angle, and even I get that right. up in the booth sometimes, and you help me out with that, uh, it could be difficult. So just ball location is one thing. But I'm wondering if it goes deeper than that. And this is something that I could not find relative to anything written about it, and I'd love to know if it's, hey, time remaining, timeouts, uh, two-minute warning approaching. Do you want to call the timeout now? Wait. You know, what's yeah. the situation? Are you up? Are you down? Do you need the ball? Those kinds of things. Is he going to be helpful to David Culley this way? And there was more to it than that. Not only was Casario communicating with the OC, Josh McDaniels, but he had two offensive assistants communicating with him with other information on personnel, uh, on defensive groupings to deal with. Uh, it was very much an offensive-related thing that Casario was doing, according to reports. Now, maybe it went beyond that. And to your point about the GM and, you know, do you need to be doing other things? Look, we've seen the GM sit in the, in the, boot, in the box with the McNairs. We've seen the GM, like Brian Gain, upstairs in the press box because he just wanted to concentrate a little bit more and not get into a conversation or whatever uh, about what was going on. I can't speak for him, but maybe it was something to do with that. Uh, and then O'Brien was the GM and he's on the field. Uh, Charlie, Charlie Casually was in the box with the McNairs and so was Rick Smith. Yep. So I just think that if you're able to be a GM and be in the box with the owners, uh, 
you're probably able to do some other things as well. And, and maybe, like you said, if you can be helpful, do it. But I'm intrigued by it because if I'm David Culley, I want all the help I can get. Um, he's got Pep Hamilton as the quarterback's coach, reportedly, uh, who can help out in a variety of ways. He's been an OC, Andrew Lux OC. He's seen a lot of stuff. He's been a lot of places, was just with Herbert last year, you know, Tim Kelly. And, you know, you talk about titles. They haven't released these titles. Right. And I, I can tell you right now, I'm just being brutally honest, I'm not exactly sure how they're going to define everything. We assume we know right. in some cases, or the media does, but I still think there's some flexibility here. And, and even as they announced those titles, you pointed it out, hey, just because you have a title doesn't mean you're going to be all that and just that. And maybe the lines are blurry in a good way. You know, maybe they're all able to help each other in ways that we don't really know yet. Yeah, absolutely. And that's – you know, trying to trying to figure out what, you know, hey, what what does what does this guy do? What does that guy do? As long as the roles are defined for the people that matter on game day, like, hey, you're going to be doing this, and then I then I don't have a problem with with any of that. To your point earlier, you know about David Culley, you know, have you know people helping out with you know situations and stuff like that. As long as you have somebody that is in your ear that you trust, and that's. That can take some time. And I can imagine that Josh McDaniels, just thinking back to, to New England, he had had Nick in his ear for so long that he just got accustomed to it. Yeah. And, and he, like I to you, you get accustomed to hearing my nonsense in your ears. You're, you're used to it. Um, and so there's going to be some stuff that if it's somebody, you know, if it was somebody completely different, you might not get the same thing. Like, hey, I need this. You know, Johnny would give me that. Well, I'm sure that's probably the way that Josh McDaniels looked at it. Like, hey, Nick knows what I want. I don't have to explain it to him. He can tell me what's going on. And so there was probably this level of comfort there. So there's going to have to be a level of comfort in certain situations. I know when, you know, way back when, when I had a coach up in the booth and it took me a little while to get comfortable with him. But once I did, he was the only person I wanted to talk to me at, at any point. Um, there was my guy on the sidelines and then there was Mike, my, my head or my, uh, my coach up in the box. That was it. Those are the only people that I wanted to talk to. And, and that was it. Cause I just felt comfortable that way. And then the more voices that got in my ears, it just made it that much more difficult. So I got comfortable with Mike and Mike would tell me, coach, you're, you know, you got this situation. You got this coach. Think about this play, but I got comfortable with that. And I think that's the thing for coaches. They're gonna have to get comfortable with that and they'll figure it all out. And I hope that Nick is a part of that because when you have an intelligent football guy anywhere in your building, you use him or her, depending. It doesn't matter. You, you, whether, whether you have that person, use that person. That's the way I look at it. And if Nick is somebody that can say, hey, look, they're playing this coverage and we can do this, and that's something that helps us win a game, then, yeah, he needs to be on the headphones. He needs to be on the headset. So I'm with you. I can't wait to see what he has to say about that. Uh, and I think he's going to be a – I think he's going to be a part of it. I hope he's a part of it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it, it seems like it was this way in New England. He's sort of a de facto member of the coaching staff. I don't think that's going to change here. Just a hunch. We'll find out more as things move on. All right, let's transition here. Uh, not, a, not every day, but most days we've been doing a position group of where we stand now, taking inventory, we call it. And today it's going to be the running backs. Now, 
inventory meaning here we are as the team has not begun free agency they've started to make some moves and there were reports earlier today buddy Howe re-up for a year so you know as we look at the running backs johnny he's one of them we know he's a special teams specialist we also saw the report about dontrell hilliard back uh which is nice restricted free agent coming in to the offseason uh, i don't know if the answer to all their issues has been addressed yet but we'll see. David Johnson is still under contract. Duke Johnson's still under contract. But, Johnny, you get the feeling at the running back position, something's going to happen. Draft, free agency, something somewhere. I doubt it's status quo as far as who's in the stable after Labor Day and way before Labor Day, for that matter. I mean, draft, I'll say, uh, you know, May 15th at the latest. Yeah. They're going to do something here. There's going to be some more clear-cut definition as to who – the star ball carrier carriers will be no doubt. And from a free agent standpoint, you know, I don't think anybody's going to break the bank for any running back free agents. I've sort of over the, the last couple years, I don't say changed my outlook on running backs, but I kind of changed my outlook on running backs. And that is, you know, you look around the league and you see how teams are doing it. And there are very few teams, not very few, there, there are a handful of teams that have just a bona fide bell cow, that's the guy. Christian McCaffrey in Carolina, Derrick Henry in Tennessee. Those, those two come to mind. You know, Saquon when he's healthy, you know, Zeke down in Dallas. But most groups, most running back groups are that. They're groups. They're running back by committee. They drive uh, fantasy players nuts. Uh, but you think back to the 49ers two years ago, uh, yeah, two seasons ago, 2019 season, Raheem Mostert, you know, comes out of comes out of nowhere. They had um, the running back from Jeff Wilson from the uh, North Texas. Right. They just had a gaggle of backs, and they were getting banged up, so they throw another one in there. Hey, Tevin Coleman's in the mix. Throw him in there, and they just created this bullion base of running backs that ended up being pretty darn good. Then when they got to the playoffs, then it was like okay, kind of like the Bucks did, and now that was out of injuries. And it was a little bit with, with San Francisco, too. But in San Francisco, they kind of – Tevin Coleman got banged up, so it became kind of the Raheem Mostert show. I don't mind that in the playoffs because you kind of ride the hot hand. It's like the Buccaneers right. did with Leonard Fournette. He got the hot hand in the playoffs, we're going to ride him. And that's, that's fine. 16, now 17-game season, I think it's too tough to do that. So you go back to our discussion about the Patriots, and look how they did it. They did it with a committee of backs, and they were all vital to what – the Patriots wanted to yeah. do. James White was a great receiver. Rex Burkhead could do a little bit of both. He could run between the tackles. Sony Michelle was kind of their, their running, running back. And they kind of all fit together. And the pieces were really nice. Now, they did make a first-round pick at Sony Michelle, but James White was a fourth-rounder. Rex Burkhead, they got, I don't want to say off the trash sheet, but they essentially looked over at the Walmart bargain bin and were like, hey, we like that, you know, we're going to buy that, uh, that Friday DVD for like $3.99. Come on, let's go. And, and put it together. I think and two of those guys I mentioned were drafted. Now, the Texans obviously don't have a first-round pick, but I don't think drafting a running back in the first round is really, uh, is really prudent as it pertains to the business of football. But this draft in particular, I think there are – I've seen people say this draft, eh, the running back class, I really like this running back class. It has got a mix of everything. It's got some big backs. It's got some jets, some smaller guys. 
It's got some really good dual threat guys you could maybe call weapon X, kind of move them around the formation a little bit. It's got to mix everything. And a lot of those guys are really going to be middle of round two and beyond. Well, Texans picked the top of round three. So there are going to be options at the running back position in this draft class. And oh, by the way, the Texans have hit on undrafted free agents before. The Jaguars hit on one last year in a guy, James Robinson, who didn't even have an offseason. Showed up at training camp, and people didn't even really know who he was. And by the end of training camp, he was the number one back and gained more yards as an undrafted rookie um, had ever had in the history of the game. So from that perspective, you've got options to finding a running back in the rookie class, and I think you can find one in this class. I, it's a, to me, it's a really great class. Even beyond Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, who everybody knows, you got big backs like Ramondre Stevenson, Oklahoma. You've got Weapon X kind of guys like Demetric Felton from UCLA, Michael Carter from North Carolina. The guy that I love, and I just, there's no way he's going to be there at 67, is Javante Williams from out of North Carolina, who is Michael Carter's teammate. He is as fun a running back as I watched, man. He is explosive. And he's going to end up probably mid-30s on my Harris 100 when it comes out. And the more I've thought about it, he's like one of those guys I thought more and more about. I'm like, you know what? He might need to be in the top 30 because he is that exciting to watch. But there are a bunch of guys that have those kind of traits that you can find. A lot of them are at the senior bowl, you know, that you can maybe find in later rounds. Elijah Mitchell from Louisiana. There are guys that you can find to be effective at the running back position for the Texans in 2021 and beyond. I love this running back class, and I think they're going to find one or two guys out of that class to really help them this year and beyond. Well, Buddy Howell, Johnny, uh, look, we've seen him run the ball well on occasion. I'm not saying that Buddy Howell is a feature back in this league, right. but he's a guy who can give you a carry or two or maybe more in certain situations and still provide what you're looking for on special teams in his role. I mean, is he Matthew Slater on this team? Now, that's asking a lot. Slater is a decade-plus sure. player, special teams, pro bowler, that kind of thing. But is he – gunning for that kind of career that kind of role on this team well i mean how long has matthew slater been around i mean 12 13 years yeah, maybe yeah, i mean yeah. the number is extraordinary you got a long way so, to go to get there yeah yeah so from that perspective man he is, whew, there's there's he's a long way to go however here's the other here's if there's a difference matthew slater is never going to play wide receiver he understands that he knows that Buddy Howell, you can use, as we saw, in certain situations. Now, it's not always the prettiest thing, but it's straight ahead north-south. Yeah. And he's a big back. And he doesn't dance. And so maybe he ends up being and playing a vital – being your short yardage back, playing a vital role in short yardage situations. So could he be your Matthew Slater? Sure. There's no question. But I think you could get something out of him in, in the running game. And – it doesn't have to be, you know, five to seven carries a game, but you're getting short yardage situations. You know, he's a banger, and he doesn't mind it. He'll fall forward and get you 36 inches. So from that perspective, I think he is vital to have to play a number of different roles uh, in that particular instance in the running back group. Because think about it, Duke Johnson, David Johnson, none of those, those guys never played special teams, but you have Buddy right. in Chicago last year. He had, what, 11 carries, I think it was. I think all of them in the second half. And he ran down on all four special teams. So yeah. you were getting max value out of the guy. Now, I don't expect him to have 11 carries and a half going forward. 
But if you get something out of him in a short yardage situation, catch a two out of the backfield, hey, I think that's a great thing and glad he's coming back. What about Scotty Phillips? I mean, he was an undrafted rookie last year, undrafted rookie free agent. They had him on the roster. He saw a little bit of action. You hate to give up on a guy, but they're going to have other undrafted rookies coming here. And who knows, you know, where he ends up and if he ends up here or not. But that guy has some talent. It's just got to be tough for these players to get them the opportunities, for them to take advantage of those opportunities. You don't have much time to develop. I mean, you better just show up and be able to contribute from minute number one. Yeah, and hang on to the football. That's got to be the biggest thing when you are – when you are, you know, back two, three, or four on the roster and your spot isn't absolutely guaranteed, you better hang on to the ball at all times. I mean, I know it sounds simple, but you better hang on to the football. The last thing you want to do is give a, a coach, a head coach, a position coach, a general manager, you know, agita about, oh, man, is he going to hang on to the ball? But I think with Scotty Phillips, and we saw that a few times at training camp where he, he put the ball on the ground. And it frustrated me because I felt like Scotty was one of the – he's the type of back that defensive players don't like to tackle. And I think back to, to you know, playing a long time ago. I didn't mind tackling a big back. Yeah, I might get embarrassed. I might get, you know, thrown into the turf. But more often than not, it's got a big target, and I can hit that target and then wrap him up and bring him down. When you get a smaller, stockier back – I should say shorter, stockier back, they're hard to hit. And there were times when Scotty went in there where you could tell he had some burst, he had some juice, and it wasn't always easy to tackle him. So from that perspective, I'd have no qualms whatsoever, Scotty Phillips getting in this mix. And look, are the names going to be, you know, sexy names? I don't know, maybe after the draft, you know, maybe a Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State comes free in the fourth round somehow, some way. But maybe not. Maybe you end up with Scotty uh, Phillips and Buddy Howell uh, and Dontrell Hilliard and you kind of figure it out from there maybe there was one year I remember in 2009 when nobody had a clue who the running backs were for the Texans except for Steve Slayton but yeah you know Steve's banged up but eh, you know Jeremiah Johnson and his foster kid from Tennessee well that turned out pretty well so I'm never opposed just because the name guy's not there or there isn't a name guy there. I do think there will be a guy that people recognize, but if it ends up being a bunch of guys uh, that know what their roles are supposed to be and they fit together really well, as we talked about earlier in the segment, I'm all for it. Then let's, let's go. Let's absolutely get it done because I think with a group of backs, that's how teams are getting it done. Well, the old line's going to have a great deal to say about this, uh, who's successful, who's not carrying the football. And the team released Sunil Calamete, offensive lineman today. Versatile, can play a bunch of different spots, played for the Saints before the Texans, but uh, no longer a Houston Texan. This is one of the few moves that they've been making. Another one was the release of Peter Calambay, who you know, we liked, and special yep. teams guy, Stanford linebacker, smart kid, uh, got some reps as uh, – down uh, every down not every down but first and second down kind of linebacker um, forced into action because of injuries on occasion uh, but no longer a Houston Texan so expect more moves like this Cornell Armstrong reportedly signed to what a one-year deal is it Johnny? a one-year deal yeah one-year deal and the same with Buddy Howell yeah 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 you know I, I here's the here's the hard part you know I, I you know watch Cornell in, in training camp and there are times I'm like yeah all right you know Corny great job and then Oh, man, okay, you got to have better technique. And so 
you know, you keep a guy around that can run, especially at the corner position. At the corner position, man, you, you're throwing paint on the canvas at this point trying right. to find anybody that can cover anybody. So from that perspective, yeah, the more the merrier. Let's find as many guys that we can that can cover, and hopefully Cornell Armstrong turns into a guy that can do that and maybe get on the field a little bit more than he's been in the past. Well, also special teams for him, right? No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, look, I don't want to say it goes without saying, mm-hmm. but we better be pretty darn good on special teams too. And in the last few years under Brad Steely, Tracy Smith, special teams were – we're pretty good for the most part, and that's, that's got to continue. Those areas have got to be sharp. The guys got to be healthy to be able to do it. The health of the team really eroded what those guys could do on special teams and what the groups did in 2020. Out of 53, you keep, what, five, six, seven corners sometimes. You can never yeah. seem to have enough, and, and never mind when you bring in a training camp, you know. We're going right. to bring 30 cornerbacks in the <laughs> training camp because we need a look at these guys. We need some help in the defensive backfield. Okay, coming up. On Texans Radio, let's get into this now. We haven't played it since last offseason. Who's better? Who, Johnny's going to decide who's better. And I've got some disclaimers and other situations attached to these who's better questions for him. And they all involve quarterbacks. So let's get into that next on Texans Radio. Texans Radio. Texans Radio. Texans Radio. Texans fans, great to have you aboard tonight for Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. All right, we're going to play a game we haven't played since last offseason called Who's Better? And I simply ask Johnny, who's better? Now, sometimes I'll attach a little disclaimer, a little statement, just to clarify things. Uh, and I'm going to start with this one right here. Regard, And all of these re- are regarding quarterbacks, by the way. Here's the first one. Now, this is about who's better the future forecast who's going to have the better career and you got to answer this one carefully because who's around them is obviously going to have a great deal of impact on how the career is ultimately defined who's better as we sit here 10 years from now herbert or tua who's better johnny Herbert, rookie of the year, outstanding, unbelievable, lots of yards. I mean, Johnny, I love the guy. He's tremendous for the Chargers. Yeah. Tua, not the greatest rookie season, not awful, but he was benched. Fitzy came in and magically won the game against the Raiders second to last game. Then Fitzy had COVID or tested positive or was exposed or whatever, and Tua had to play the finale and was not able to pull it out. So a lot of people thinking, oh, Tua's not all that. Boy, we throw away quarterbacks very quickly these days. But Tua is on a good team. And if Tua is all that, is all he was projected to be going into the draft. Remember Tank for Tua? It feels like 100 years Mm -hmm. ago he was supposed to be the guy. If Tua starts improving the team around him, the organization around him, that should yield better play. So who's better? As we sit here 10 years from now, Herbert or Tua? Well, Justin Herbert is, on the flip side, going to have Keenan Allen presumably Mike Williams going forward. Yeah. Two pretty good receivers to, to throw to. He's yeah. also got Hunter Henry. Now, Hunter, I think, is a free agent. The Chargers are, I think, discussing whether they're going to keep him or not or franchise him again or not. I've seen a couple of projections, uh, one with him going elsewhere, uh, one staying. I've heard one of him going to the Patriots. I'm like, oh, gosh. Uh, which would make sense because his high school coach, Kevin Kelly, the coach who never kicks, uh, who never punts or kicks, um, and always does outside kicks at Pulaski Academy in Arkansas, is a good friend of Bill Belichick. So there's kind of 
linking that together. Either way, point being, I think Miami needs a weapon for a consistent weapon, and maybe and more than one. You look, Devontae Parker has kind of raised his game a little bit. Mike Kosicki as a tight end has done some decent things. I don't want to bury Tua yet. I know a lot of people have, and obviously I've heard a lot of talk about Tua around Houston for some reason. And the the thought with Tua is, ah, oh, uh, he was terrible. He got replaced by Fitzy. I'm like, look, the guy was coming off major hip surgery. Major hip surgery from last year. What I saw before the hip surgery was a pretty darn good quarterback. Now, was he and is he going to be better than Justin Herbert? I think Justin Herbert was a little bit of a surprise for some of the draft Knicks. I saw yes. the senior bowl quarterback that can make every throw. I'm like, this guy, wow, I don't know why he's not getting more acclaim. He deserves more. This guy, whoo. Now, I graded two a higher. But I think ultimately, after watching Herbert make that that big stride, and that was with no offseason, no work with his receivers. Now he's got the opportunity to do all that kind of stuff. I think in 10 years we'll look up and think, actually, they'll be very close, but I think it's going to end up being Justin Herbert in 10 years. All right. Next week I'll throw Burrow in the mix. But let's do this now. Let's go back to present day. Although, no, you have to future forecast this one as well. Yeah, you're going to do it. All okay. right. Who's better? And this is kind of – um a hybrid with a game I want to develop called let's make a football deal. Carson Wentz for the Colts or whoever they were going to select behind door number two, you have to decide what they would have done had Wentz not been available. And would that have been better than Wentz? Maybe especially for the short term, the next couple of years, because the Colts are built to be good to go to contend for the division, if not more, obviously, right? They came within a hair of winning the division. Mm-hmm. Could have, would have, should have been a lot better. But you got Carson Wentz, presumably healthy, behind that good line, a lot of weapons, good organization. Or what else were they going to do? What else were they going to do at quarterback without Wentz available? I like what Chris Ballard's done in, in, in Indianapolis. Uh, I mean, on the fronts, uh, offensive, defensive line. I mean, finding a guy like Julian Blackman. You know, drafted Jonathan Taylor last year in his second round. I mean, he's done really well. He's kind of had some bad luck at quarterback. Uh, no pun intended. Actually, pun intended. Um, because he's had no luck at quarterback. Like, he thought he was going to have for the next uh, eight to ten years. He took that job in large part because he didn't want to have to go find a quarterback. Well, now he's been having to find one every single year. I think that in the draft process, I think that he would have fallen in love with Mac Jones from Alabama. And here's why I say that. Mm. Mac Jones is, he's not a prima donna. He was coached by Corky Rogers at the Bowl School. He was then coached by Nick Saban. Nobody, nobody will coach Mac Jones harder than he has been coached to this point in his life by Corky Rogers in high school and Nick Saban in Alabama than the coaching he's going to get going forward. There just won't be. Mac Jones is as mentally tough a guy as you're going to find. He sat behind Tua. Um, He sat behind um, Jalen Hurts. He waited and got his opportunity, and then he took advantage of it. And, Mark, I watched him make throws this past year, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, he doesn't have a great arm, but neither did Phillip. But he knew where to go with the ball. He got it to his weapons. And their one better throw in the end zone – on fourth down to Michael Pittman away from beating the Bills in that wild card round. If Phillip makes a better throw. Now, I think Mac Jones would give them an opportunity 
to have a future. Because if what we've heard out of Philadelphia is that Carson Wentz can't be coached, that he can't take hard coaching, that's going to be a major issue in Indianapolis. I don't care if it's Frank Reich or whoever coached him. That's just not the kind of guy that Chris Ballard seems to, seems to like. Mac Jones would have been a guy that I think, A, you could have gotten at 21, and B, I think the Colts would have really liked him, i.e., I think Ballard would have liked him, and you could have coached him as hard as you possibly wanted. Johnny, did they do the wrong thing then? I mean, did they just act too soon? Did they impulse buy Carson Wentz? They're at the store. Carson Wentz is there at the checkout line, and they're like, you know what? I need a Carson Wentz. I, I, you know, I need a quarterback, so why don't I just grab him right here? Did they act too soon? I mean, who else was going to make a deal for Carson Wentz? Couldn't they have waited? I know you can't wait till the draft because then everything yeah. changes. But I don't know. It just feels a little impulse buy to me for the yeah. Indianapolis Colts. In, in some sense, I mean – yeah, they went with Philip last year because they felt like they had the pieces that Philip could do something with. They wanted yeah. a veteran in that mix. I can see them wanting a veteran with what they have around. That if they bring in a rookie, there's gonna be um, there's gonna be uh, a learning curve in all of this. Mm-hmm. But what if the Colts had had Justin Herbert last year uh, on his learning curve? You know, what if Mac Jones came to the Colts with Justin Herbert's learning curve? Good grief! How good is that team? Right. So. I don't want to say they made they made a mistake because I do think I do think that Carson Wentz has good football left in him, but I do think that his confidence took such a hit last year. It's going to be tough when he has a bad game in Indianapolis, and he starts to hear some of the criticism. How's he going to react to that? And by the way, there's also a financial component. So, what player or players are the Colts not going to be able to go after because they've got additional monies sunk into? Um, into Carson Wentz. That said, it was a roll of dice whether Mac Jones is going to be there at 21. And if he wasn't, then you're in a lot of trouble at that point. All right, we only have a couple of minutes left of this last who's better. And we'll probably elaborate on this all offseason long or maybe till the end of time. But who's better? You're the Jags. You have to decide who's better, Trevor Lawrence or the field at quarterback, right? I've got Trevor Lawrence in the crosshairs. But the more I watch Zach Wilson tape, the more I like. The more I look at that that 70% plus, what is it, 73% completion percentage and only three picks, yeah. I'm starting to think maybe that's the guy I should be looking at. I know the competition level isn't as great as what Lawrence faced. And then I got Justin Fields as well out there, and I got everybody else who, you know, you mentioned Mac Jones, everybody else who's potentially available. Who's better? Well, I, well, I know this will shock you. I spent today studying Fields for a couple hours. Um, I had already watched him and I just, you know, he's been a polarizing prospect seemingly the last week, week and a half or so. And I watched fields, um, in probably his roughest game against Indiana. And I walked out of there going, okay, I'll, I'll take that guy. Now Mm. I'll take Zach Wilson. I've studied him often. I've watched as many games as possible. I get my hands on a Trevor Lawrence. It's Trevor Lawrence. And if the Jags want to screw that up and, you know, take a different quarterback, well, that's on them. Trevor Lawrence is, is that guy. Now, the difference to, the difference to me in, in other years, like I, I always felt like there was a gaggle of quarterbacks at 18, like Baker and Darnold um, and Josh – not Josh Allen. Um, uh, yeah, Josh Allen. They were all kind of in a, in a group, yeah. like you know, top 10. Top, there wasn't much that separated them. These four quarterbacks to me, including Trey Lance from North Dakota State, there's not much that separates them. However, Lawrence is 6'6", I think faster than all of them stronger arm than all of them, played in higher profile games than all of them, maybe combined, won a championship as a freshman, and is a Pied Piper for that Clemson program. 
Uh, we've heard that before. So yeah. from that perspective, those are things the Jaguars have got to have. They would be foolish to not pick Trevor Lawrence. Now, if somebody comes to them with some unbelievable deal that includes a quarterback, well, then maybe, you're gonna, maybe you'll listen because that's going to, you know, with all the draft picks I already have, that would help. But that said, it's Trevor Lawrence. And I love those other guys. I love Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. I love all of them. They're all in the top 10. Harris 100, those four are in my top 10. I don't think I've had that happen um, maybe in the eight years I've done this. I don't think I've had that happen. But Trevor Lawrence is number one. And he's number one with a bullet. All right, coming up next, let's go around the league a bit. TV deals, not up yet, but getting close. How does $3.5 billion for one game a week sound for one of the networks? Oh, my goodness. We'll get into that, among other things, on Texans Radio. It's Texans Radio, and it's Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you as we go around the league, hit on some of the Texans news earlier. Nothing earth-shattering, all right? So everybody just calm down. <laughs> uh, but among other things going on around the league, I guess Aaron Rodgers is going to host Jeopardy for 10 shows, Johnny. All right, so you, you have one game show to host. Is it this one? Is it something Ooh. else? What do Ooh, you that's good. Uh, you know, Wheel of Fortune would be fun. I was always a Wheel of Fortune. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I know the one I'd want. I'd want to do Family Feud. Darn it, you stole mine. You stole <laughs> I'd, want mine. To do, I'd want to do Family Feud. I don't think I could do it as, as well as Steve Harvey does. But, man, if somebody gave me some of the answers that he gets, oh, oh that would be so much fun. That what about would be match fun. game? What about match game? Yeah, okay. I, yeah, match game's okay. Uh, I think Ant- yeah, I think I'd be all right. I mean, I grew up in the glory days of game shows. Like, if yes. I was homesick, like, the yes. newlywed game and Tattletales with Burt Convy, you know, all these. <laughs> password. All these, Alan Ludden, Password, Betty White, awesome stuff. Okay, among other things going on around the league, ESPN. Well, the NFL would like $3.5 billion per year for Monday Ooh. Night Football. ESPN is offering $2.4 billion. I, these numbers are just so staggering to me. I just this is Monday Night Football. This isn't even Sunday Night Football. It's Monday Night Football. Doesn't get as big a rating now. I guess they're going to put it back on ABC and ESPN, either simulcast or maybe ABC alone. It was funny when they took it off ABC. Funny, strange in the sense that hey, this was an ABC show since the beginning of time, right? Yeah. Since yeah. Alex Karras was on it, and Keith Jackson was the first ever play-by-play announcer for Monday Night Football. Uh, but I got it. ESPN wanted to lift the cable network up, lift the profile even higher. Uh, they were going to be there every Monday. It'll be like a Super Bowl every week. They've backed away from that, especially during COVID. But even in the years that uh, that followed the initial consummation of the deal, now. I can see it definitely going back to ABC because nothing on network TV comes close to NFL football. So why not have that, that chip on a Monday night of a huge audience? It lifts up the whole network. You can promote all your programming. I don't even know what shows are on ABC anymore. I mean, who watches network shows? You don't watch many network shows at all other than pro football, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe reality shows. Um, Maybe. I I mean, if I'm ESPN, uh, you know, Disney, I'm saying, look, all right, maybe we don't get the three and a half. We'll give you three billion, but we want the opportunity to have non-garbage games on Monday night. And I can't remember if it was 18 or 19. I think it was 19. 
And you're like, hey, yeah, we get all excited. Like, hey, what's the Monday night game tonight? It's like, oh, it's Bengals Giants. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. What? No, yeah. no, no, pass. I mean, we'd still watch because we're, you know, we're, we're football guys. But uh, that, that would, I think, be one of the conditions of, look, um, we're going to need some better inventory on Monday night. And that used to be the game. And obviously it's changed to Sunday night. But, I mean, who's to say what you can do going forward, moving games? I mean, look how COVID kind of showed us we could do it. Yeah. They'll love it, but you could do it if you had to. Um, that said, if you're going to pay $3 billion for just one package, the Monday night package, then you better demand better inventory. Uh, no doubt about that. But I'm really curious to see how this one plays out. I've got a news item for you. I want to get your thoughts because this one I thought of you. What's up? New Orleans Saints are looking for a new play-by-play man. No thanks. Because Zach oh. Streif yeah. is moving to the coaching staff, uh-huh. which is now putting the Saints on a lookout for a play-by-play man. What would you think when you saw that story? Well, you know, I heard Streif, first of all, when Streif got the job without any experience, I was kind of freaked out about that. But yeah. I actually talked to him, and I heard him. And, look, nuts and bolts, he kind of got through the game. I don't like it because I think so many guys work so hard in this business to get an opportunity, and then you give it to guys never done anything. But, look, yeah. that's life in the big city. That happens in all industries, in all sorts of situations. You just got to deal with it, right? It, mm-hmm. it just happens. And you have to hope to create your own opportunity. And when I saw that it was open again, look, people have been calling me like, you know anybody with the Saints? You know? <laughs> yeah. So because these jobs don't open up very often, and that's a heck of a job to have. I mean, when you have the Saints job, you kind of own Louisiana, that and LSU. I mean, those are the top mm-hmm. jobs, right? So you definitely want to have a look at that if you're a big Louisiana guy or anybody who wants to be a play-by-play announcer. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Streif went to coach after being in the booth. Like, yeah. I don't like this at all. I want to go coach. <laughs> okay, so I ask you that. Nick Casario, David Cully come to you and like, look, <laughs> James Campen needs a little help on the offensive oh, yeah. line. That's me, baby. Johnny, that's the last thing. Look, I can almost see – by the way, I watched a six-man game because uh, Fort Bend Christian, uh, my former uh, flag football quarterback, plays for them, right? Yeah, the yeah. Team. I forget. He's, uh, I guess he's in eighth grade this year. And he's really good. And they play six-man football. And I watched yeah. a game, and I thought, I might be able to coach that because I coach that's flag, awesome I coach stuff. basketball. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a, a punt snap every time. The quarterback yes. is so deep. Uh, and they're snapping it to somebody who gives it to the quarterback because I don't think he can run unless he takes the handoff and then he yes. has options, right? So I thought, that's a lot like flag football, you know? It, the yeah. blocking is like, eh, it's excuse me blocking, right? I could coach excuse me blocking. I can't. The, to me, the <laughs> offensive line is one of the more intricate things. I feel like I could design some plays. Yeah, I feel like it. I probably could. <laughs> but the old line, I'd be like, you guys – Knock people down better, okay? Can you knock the other guy down better? You know, Bill O'Brien talked about moving the line of scrimmage. You guys are not moving them. Move them out. Johnny, thanks a lot. You got it, Mark. Thank you. That's it for the show tonight. It'll be up on the Texans app soon enough for you to enjoy it or critique it or consume it whichever way you want to in just a few moments here. We'll be back tomorrow night on Draft Wednesday. Have a great evening, everyone, and go Texans. And go Texans.